This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Curtis Tate. Yesterday was the last day bills could be introduced in the House of Delegates. That deadline passes in the Senate Monday. Moving forward, most of the work will include debating and voting on bills already in the pipeline. In the House today, the controversial Women's Bill of Rights, House Bill 5243, was put back on the active calendar for third reading and yet another call for a legislative oversight committee to monitor yet another state government agency. Randy Yowie has more. House Bill 5243 would put certain biological definitions of man and woman into code and determine who can use single-sex spaces like restrooms and locker rooms. Democrats call it not a women's bill of rights, but an anti-trans bill. There are no mandates, penalties, or enforcement in the bill. The bill says the term equal does not mean same or identical. Delegate Kayla Young, a Democrat from Kanawha County, says if the bill becomes law, all state codes related to women become subject to these definitions. It doesn't do anything for women. And if you care about women, you should care about all of them. No matter what they were assigned at birth, what skin color they have, what religion they care about, none of it. You should care about all of them. If you, if you want to know how many pieces of code this affects, the word female appears in our code 62 times. The bill sponsor, Delegate Kathy Hess Krauss, a Republican from Putnam County, quoted the Bible, the book of Genesis, that God created man and woman, male and female. And yet today, a powerful group of activists seek to convince judges and bureaucrats that these laws guarantee men who identify as women access a women's private spaces. And they have, in some places, succeeded by convincing judges and bureaucrats to adopt their nonsensical de definitions of sex-based words. They have succeeded in rewriting anti-discrimination law without your consent. That is, without having to convince the people and their duly elected representatives that change is needed. The House Minority Leader, Delegate Sean Hornbuckle from Cabell County, voted against a bill he called the Single Sex Bill, among other names. Of the Our Governor Can't Coach Women's Basketball Bill, of the Gender Identity Bill, because make no mistake about it, this is not a women's bill of rights. Years ago, people that looked like us shared our oath and honor. They fought for women to be able to vote because that was a right of Americans. I think it's crazy that the overwhelming majority of this body, which are men, we're the only ones that can do whatever we want with our bodies. Women cannot do that. 
So if you want to talk about rights, let's talk about those rights. Delegate J.B. Akers, a Republican from Kanawha County, spoke in favor of a bill he said is meant to solve a very specific issue that now exists in our society that has never existed before. It's the issue that there are, are actually women who are displaced or vulnerable in spaces that were made for them. That's a fact. The line in this bill that states that equal does not mean the same or identical has no effect upon the recognition of equal rights under the law. The fact that, this, that the bill makes that statement is a recognition of the fact that our code, throughout our code, states the exact same thing. The bill passed 87 to 12 to 1. A Democrat's amendment to change the title to the Women's Bill of Wrongs failed. On first reading, House Bill 5337 establishes the Legislative Oversight Committee of the Division of Corrections and Rehabilitation. This corrections bill joins other legislative oversight committees now active or proposed in health, highways, education, water, workforce development, and more. House Majority Leader Delegate Eric Householder, a Republican from Berkeley County, says the preponderance of oversight committees, active or proposed, does springboard from ongoing challenges concerning a variety of state agencies. I think our constituents are asking for better and uh, more transparency and good government. And uh, anytime that we have the opportunity to offer more transparency and good government, we should do it. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The House held a public hearing this morning on a bill that would remove a sunset clause from the oil and gas personal property tax. Brianna Heaney has that story. A sunset clause is a note in the bill that gives it an expiration date, unless other legislative action is taken to extend the bill. House Bill 2581 in the 2021 session created the formula for how gas operators and property owners are taxed. The bill had a sunset clause, which comes due in July of 2025. House Bill 450 would remove that sunset clause from the bill, making the tax formula permanent. Delegate Vernon Chris, a Republican from Wood County, says the bill would help create tax predictability for landowners and well operators. If we do not do this, then there will be no tax collected by the counties, is how the, is how the law is set up now. So the sunset clause needs to be taken off so that the counties can continue to collect their personal property tax on, on oil and gas in those counties. However, landowners taxed by this bill gathered at the Senate to express opposition. They say that the 2021 bill taxes them unfairly and lacks transparency. Scott Sonda receives royalties for land he owns that has a well on it. Now, one of the major problems is there's no transparency in the industry, so they could actually sell the products for a higher price, tell me they sell them for a lower price. However, he says that part of the formula for what he is taxed on is based on the prices that the gas is actually sold for. The gas operators submit that information to the state, but landowners like Sonda never know what that number is. When the operators turn these numbers in, they are used to calculate my value as well. We just would like to know what that value is, and so far we've not been successful getting that. 
He said after taxes, landowners barely have enough to pay the taxes from the royalties they are paid by the well operators for the use of their land. The code has proven to be complicated for the state's tax division, who have come under scrutiny since the tax code was passed in 2021 for things like providing incorrect assessments and then taking so long to get the correct assessment back to the property owners that they then did not have time to appeal that assessment. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. The Senate is building momentum now that it is well into the second half of the session. Ten bills were passed and sent to the House. Two bills were passed and sent to the governor's desk. Brianna Heaney has more. Abortion is banned in the state of West Virginia unless medically necessary or if the pregnancy is no longer viable. There are exceptions in the abortion ban in the case of rape. Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County, sponsored two notable bills today related to pregnant persons in the state. Senate Bill 352 requires informed consent prior to a medically necessary abortion being performed. Informed consent means that patients that are seeking an abortion must be informed on things like associated medical risks, the probable gestation age, and that perinatal hospital services are available before they decide to go through with the abortion. Some of the information doctors are required to present is on the Department of Health's website. Those opposed to the bill say that the bill requires doctors to present patients with scientifically inaccurate propaganda. Rucker says this bill ensures that patients seeking an abortion has all the information that they need to make the decision to have an abortion. All this does, and I cannot imagine anyone who would oppose, is make certain that the woman has all the information that she should have in making a decision. And whether it's a you know small decision as to whether you want to um, move, well, I wouldn't call that a small decision, but buy a house, buy a car. Uh, I think you should have all the information you need to make the right decision. This is a decision affecting life and death, and it is a, a decision that will impact a woman's life after the decision is made, whichever decision is made. So I think it is only the right thing to do that she have all the information available. Senator Mike Caputo, a Democrat from Marion County, voted against the bill and read a letter from a physician who urged him to do so. Dear Senator Mike Caputo, I'm horrified to learn that the Senate is attacking reproductive health care yet again by advancing Senate Bill 352. Banning abortion was not enough. Now lawmakers want to go after the very narrow exceptions afforded in the ban by further demeaning and degrading providers and patients who are deserving of respect and compassion. Enough is enough. The physician asked Caputo to try and stop the bill. It is dangerous and far outside the mainstream of medicine. Organizations representing thousands of clinicians, including the American College of Obstetrics, obstetricians and gynecologists and the American College of Nurse Midwives and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine have strongly opposed bills that place lawmakers in the position of interfering with how health care is provided to push a political agenda. Last year, the legislature passed a bill that funded the Mothers and Babies Pregnancy Support Program. 
The grants under this bill are for anti-abortion pregnancy centers, maternity homes, adoption agencies, and life-affirming social service organizations. Rucker's other bill, Senate Bill 620, adds flexibility to the ways in which that funding can be used. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Today was Child Care Advocacy Day at the Capitol. Child care is one of the hot topics in the 2024 regular session directly related to the state's economic development. Randy Yoey has more. These child care advocates say a year of child care costs for an infant is about the same cost as a year's tuition at WVU or Marshall. Christy Riz, the executive director of the West Virginia Association for Young Children, says the state needs to make additional investments in child care. She notes a few bills that her organization is looking at. One would allow child care providers to be paid based on a child's enrollment rather than their daily attendance, which would really help providers to stabilize their business. Um, and also we're um, hoping that we can get child care subsidies for people that work in child care. So they would have care for their own children covered while they're working. Ritz says West Virginia does not have enough child care facilities. She says there are a lot of child care centers that cannot take as many children as they're licensed for because it's so hard to hire staff. She advocates that if they could get quality staff in their programs, they would be able to fill some of those empty classrooms. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Leaders from both sides of the aisle have declared that child care for the working men and women of West Virginia is a priority regarding economic and workforce development. So far, there has been plenty of talk but little legislative action. Randy Yoey spoke with Delegate Joey Garcia, a Democrat from Marion County, and Delegate Evan Worrell, a Republican from Cabell County, to explore the issue. Child care in West Virginia is a very complex issue and has been for a while for the working families, for the child care facilities and the people that work there, and for businesses old and new that need child care so their people can come to work and those families can keep their child care for, <laughs> pretty much simply as that. So we got two people that are pretty well versed in this subject. I've got Evan, Evan Worrell and uh, Joey Garcia, a Republican and a Democrat. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Of course. Great to be here. Delegate Worrell, let me start with you. You're chair of the House uh, Workforce Development Committee. Now, Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw has said that when these new businesses that are coming into West Virginia, the first thing they ask about anymore is not education, it's not roads, it's da -da -da -da, child care. Uh, and there's a number of bills that I've seen that were presented uh, that, to deal with child care, yet I don't see a whole lot of them coming to light yet. What's going on? Yeah, so Randy, first of all, you're right. Workforce development is huge when it comes to child care because we have people who, if, it's, if there's a child care desert, you know, you can't go to work, right? So we've seen that. We have the data that shows that. And you're right. There have been a host of bills, I think six bills that we've looked at uh, introduced in the House. And there's been a lot of stakeholder meetings at play. That's been a big deal. We want to make sure that everybody has a, has a voice, has a say in the process. So that's held up things a little bit. Um, but obviously, we're also trying to fit money into the budget, right, for child care. It doesn't come free, right? And so we need to make sure that we're looking at the parents, the providers, and also for workforce development. And it comes at a cost. And so I think while we're seeing some movement, part of that is how do they fit in the pieces of the puzzle, right? For example, enrollment versus attendance, a very big deal. Been going on for over 20 years since I just told you I had my children in daycare. 
and we're going to see it on the House Health Agenda tomorrow. So we'll be discussing that tomorrow afternoon. Once it's passed, it'll be referred to the Committee on Finance, where they can take, hopefully, that cost and fit into the puzzle of the state budget. Delegate Garcia, we heard in one of the recent Democratic press conferences that that was a priority of yours, and you were concerned that things weren't moving along fast enough. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, we are at, what, day 35, 36. I mean, we don't have that much time left. We have till day 50 to try to get bills through the House. And especially when bills have two committees that they've been referred to, uh, it's important that we get these bills moving. And, and I, I have some hope. And I think, again, this is a this is a bipartisan effort. That's right. And I really think that there from the speaker down, there are people uh, throughout the legislature that believe that this is it should be almost the priority right now. Everybody talks about workforce and you can't have workforce improvement for many people unless you solve the problem of making sure they have access to quality and affordable childcare. And I think a lot of these bills, you know, I think it's almost like four uh, parts of, uh, uh, or legs of a chair. I mean, you gotta have stability, right? You have to make sure that we have these childcare providers that can continue to do what they do. You have to have increase in access, which means we have to recruit more workforce because the, the, if we have one um, child specialist, that means we're gonna have six more uh, children that have access in normal situations. We got to improve the quality, and again, we have bills that would inc uh, would provide for tax incentives both both for employers and for individuals to try to make sure they can actually get that. Well, let's talk tax incentives first. I know we passed a bill last year that kind of, if I'm if I read it right, the bigger corporations get a 50% tax credit on what they build and how they or how they operate it. Correct. Uh, that leaves out the. The regular Joe Jane families and the smaller businesses, uh, what do we have to address them? Yeah, so first of all, we're going to see that tax credit expanded to 100% this year. I think we're going to see that through a bill, but then also other tax credits for the smaller businesses that are providing the child daycare centers as well. So this isn't a one, uh, you know, one approach, it's multifaceted. We're also not going to fix this problem overnight, but we do address the fact that it is a priority and we're going to make sure we get things done. But I think what's exciting is that we do see tax credits incentives for small businesses and some other bills. Uh, but once again, we're also looking at the actual employees and the parents as well. It has to be affordable, has to be quality, as Delegate Garcia said. And I think at the end of the day, some of these bills are, are going to really make a difference. And I, and I spoke with child care advo advocates today. As you know, today was Child Care Advocacy Day. And, um, you know, we all are in agreement that these are things that are going to help and move the needle to make things better for West Virginians. Because I, I spoke to them as well today, and I found out the cost of a yeah. year's child care for an infant is the same as sending a person to a year's tuition at WVU or Marshall, about five grand. Yet, $5,000, excuse me. But the governor's proposal of $1,000 per year, I mean, that just doesn't even scratch the surface. Why, and, and I think, number one, we have to start somewhere. And I, and I think that's where we are right now. At the same time, I've talked to many people uh, who have discussed going into the workforce or leaving the workforce because they have children that they have to put into childcare if they're going to work. And, and, and this is one of the main things we've talked to childcare providers about is when they need the workforce to actually improve access, many of those individuals they have to have some place for their children to go. And so I think one thing that we are looking at too is providing for uh, that their childcare would be covered. Yep. And that's a, that's a huge part to attract people that otherwise would say, hey, it makes more sense to stay home. But then when, it, when you go to 
the situation where, again, it's, it's 1,000, maybe out of 5,000. We have to really think about that mm -hmm. and what that means because if it's an economic decision that I'm not going to go to work, that, that is completely different than some of the criticism that you hear about people not wanting to work. It's that it does not make sense for them to work. Yeah. Go ahead. And, Randy, and just to respond <coughs> to that, in my area, St. Mary's Hospital, last year took advantage of the tax credit. They built out a daycare facility, and they were having problems with workforce. And when they started offering the free childcare to the employees, <coughs> they immediately got the workforce they needed. So that was a huge needle mover for St. Mary's, and I think that's one of the things we're looking at that's going to move the needle for other people around the state as well. I think that there's, there's one bill that's kind of modeled after a, a Michigan bill. It's a third, third, third that the government will pay a third, the family will pay a third, and the business will pay a third. Yeah. And that, that would cover it in one over cent. Your thoughts on that? So I, I, I can start. So I think that there are different levels of, of people and how, how child care providers are getting paid, right? We have subsidies for those people that do not meet certain thresholds. Uh, we have people that are private pay, but we have a big group of people right in the middle. And again, those are the people that we're, we're tr talking about that have to make these difficult decisions about whether they can even put their children into childcare. Uh, and I think that's where that tri-factor, or I think tri-share pilot program could really come into play. And it brings in uh, multiple entities, including the employer, the government, and the person to try to share that burden and make sure we get more people to work. Would it work? I think it's, it's potential. It's a tool in the bucket, Randy. I think that's what we need to look at. We're putting lots of tools in the bucket, right? And so it might work for some, might not work for others. But I think <coughs> at the end of the day, we want to pass a, a multi, you know, like I said, a multifaceted approach, different types of bills, different types of options for different tools in the bucket for those that it will work well for. So I think for some, yes. For some, no. But there might be another, another option for those, like the uh, expansion of the 100% tax credit. Maybe that's beneficial. So I just think at the end of the day, once again, repeat myself, putting multiple tools in the bucket is what we're really trying to do here. We just need those tools in those buckets to get out of committee and get to uh, floors. Agreed, yes. And I think that's the greatest part is that the speaker does place a priority on this. And I think that's a huge mm -hmm. deal, right? Delegate Garcia and I have been through this process for many years and, and we've tried to get bills passed. Some have, some haven't. But when you have the speaker's blessing and priority, right? I think that's a big deal. And I, we know that these things are gonna move forward. The, the biggest piece, and what I told you once again, is fitting that puzzle piece right into the budget, right? And that's always the big thing that the finance committee works on. I think you're part of that finance committee. No, you're not, I'm sorry. I know I'm not, but I think that's part of that is that you've got to figure out where that puzzle piece fits in. And I trust in, Dele in the chairman, Delegate Chris, to figure that out. Well, talk about facilities. I mean, just <coughs> around my neighborhood, I, I live yeah. in Huntington, you know, you'll see a, a, a church, a YMCA, the, the Playmates group. It, it's kind of a scattered, there's no real organization in child care. Uh, yeah. And these, these providers, uh, some of them struggle. Uh, they have yeah. waiting lists or they don't have enough. <laughs> I mean, is there anything that we can do on the provider side? You talked about subsidies. The, the folks here with child care advocacy said it, it, it's not enough to keep uh, good qualified people and, and you mentioned qualified so we've got those things up in the air yeah i i, I think that number one I, the first thing that delegate were all talked about was enrollment versus attendance right and that's having stability and making sure that if if a child who's enrolled 
doesn't happen to come to daycare one day that the daycare who can't just go and find some other child that day that they have that stability because that can be upwards sometimes of sixty thousand dollars a month and yep. and and that's really one of the fiscally i think the 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 largest amounts that we're talking about i think it's about 44 million dollars that that change will do but that'll provide a base because a lot of these these are small businesses and these are people who have taken a risk uh and without them i mean right now they're having to make hard decisions about turning people away. And so we really need to help them have that stability so that, again, we can, we, we can have the access and the quality pieces. But, but if we don't do that first, then some of the childcare that's currently being offered may not be there next year. What else besides stabilizing the, uh, the facilities themselves with uh, this enrollment attendance situation? Well, that's a huge deal. And, and so, Randy, I'm from the Huntington area as well. And I, going back 20 years ago, I actually had to wait for the, my enrollment in the Child Development Academy at Marshall. And we actually utilized an in-home daycare provider at the time. We were on subsidies. I then even when my, my eight, now 18-year-old son when we were pregnant, we got put on the waiting list before he was even born, right, to get in. But we're in Huntington, and there are more options there than there are around the rest of the state. I think at the end of the day, what's so important about, like I said, these tools in the bucket is we're providing an option for providers, employers, employees. We're really trying to focus, trying to get those areas, because we have some very big childcare deserts in the state. We're fortunate 65%, I'm told, 65% yeah. of West Virginia is in a childcare desert. Which has a direct impact on our low workforce participation rate. It has to, right? I mean, so we know that if we can find ways to incentivize people to provide the tax credits, a lot of the bills we're talking about today, if we can get those passed at the end of the day, are going to provide opportunities for people to open up in-home uh, childcare providers. And that's what I'm looking forward to, to help with that 65%, which once again, will go back to our workforce participation rate and I think raise that number as well. With that kind of, of desert numbers, we've got to make sure that the people that are in some of the rural areas away from Huntington and Charleston and, yeah. and, and, and Morgantown and, and such uh, still get the child care they deserve. That's true. I think there's one other program that's a, that's a budget line item called the Wonder School program. And I know we're probably getting close to the end, but that's, that's where I think there's, a, there's the idea about $5 billion to try to help develop some of these new child care places yeah. in, the place, in the place where we need them. All right. Uh, gentlemen, I thank you for being here. I want to see those buckets and those tools yeah. getting uh, to the floor because child care is a very complex issue. These two are working on it and so is the rest of the legislature. Thank you for spending time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia channel. I'm Curtis Tate. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.